Father, this morning we just come to you. Pray, Father, this morning when as we hear your word, you will remove those blindfolds. Oh, Father, we might truly perceive you as you are. Your kingdom in its power and its glory and in its reality. That in exchange for the glory of that kingdom, we will let allow our flesh to be burned, to be, to be put to death. Incline our hearts and our ears to you, Father, this morning. Speak, Lord, speak. We need you to speak, Lord. We need to hear from you. Your God who speaks a living God. Come for knowledge, we have come for wisdom, but above all we have come for life. Speak, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. For the first text, we will go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now these words, these words like this in the Bible are incredibly stunning if you look at it and stare at it for a little more. The whole world is divided into two groups. A set of people. They are without Christ. They are without God. And without hope. And another set of people. With Christ. With God. And with hope. The danger, the sad part is, the part that is without Christ and without God and without hope doesn't even know it. But what does it mean to us? What does it mean? In Psalm 127, we often read that when we have our baby dedication or a house dedication. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. If anyone is outside God, all their labor ultimately is in vain. They can build the finest houses, the finest companies, the greatest careers, but like Noah's and Lot's generation, the Bible is very clear what happens to those who are outside God. And God is not building anything through them. Jesus himself describes to us about what happened in Luke 17, verse 27-28. Two generations. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. 
Likewise, as it was also in the days of the Lord, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built, and the next verse also. And what happened? You can have 29 too. If you look, but on the day that Lot went out, Sodom, it rained fire, brimstone from heaven. And if you look at what is common, the end of both groups destroyed them all. Entire set of people for 6,000 years are building only to be destroyed. That's called the absolute total waste of a life. Why? Because they are without Christ and without God. And these people lived without God. Most of the people in earth today are living without God. And all our efforts, our energies, our resources, if you look at it, and our worries, our anxieties are all connected with building something or wanting to build something. But God says, have you seen the end of these people? Did you see the end of these people? Because they built without God. They were people without God, without Christ, and they built without God, and this was their end. So let me give you, today I will give you a little brief historical, not history actually, but so that you know what we are dealing with. It's good to be informed. We know, Pastor Vijay and I have been speaking to you about the 500 years of Reformation. 500 years ago, there was a person called, his actual name was Giovanni Medici. Young kid, when he was young, brilliant in the eyes of the world, in the flesh. At the age of seven, he became a monk, Catholic monk, at 13. If I'm right, he become a cardinal. At 40, he became a pope. And he took the name Leo X. Only thing, he had a very expensive life habit. The previous pope had filled the Vatican treasury, which he emptied in eight years. And he was on one of the biggest projects of the Catholic Church. He building the St. Peter's Basilica. The problem was there was no money. There was no money. So how do you handle this problem when there is no money? So the old tested method. He knew people all lived with guilt and no assurity of going to heaven. So he said, no problem. We will make money by selling forgiveness. That's what is called the sale of indulgences. Okay? The concept is this, even if you're a good Catholic and you spend time doing all good things, but when you die, you will have to spend time in a place called purgatory, which is a semi-hell, to work off your sins. The whole Catholic concept was that people die with sanctifying grace, but still sinful. So in purgatory, your soul is cleansed. So can you help these souls? Yes. Masses can be held for them. 
but to, for a mass you need to pay. Okay. Or you have what was on November 2nd. You will see pictures of it all called All Souls Day. That's when they gather and actually pray for the souls who are in purgatory. Okay. And can you avoid purgatory? Yes, the best part is you can avoid purgatory if you buy your forgiveness. And the interesting part of buying your forgiveness is you could buy forgiveness for past sins and you could buy forgiveness for the ones you're planning to do. <laughs> but the problem is both purgatory and the sale of indulgence are direct not only contrast to what the word of God says, also insult to God. Because in 1 John 1, 9, scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. Nothing is left. You don't have to go to purgatory. Nothing is left. All. all. So when you bring a concept which is antithesis to what God is, you're questioning his faithfulness and his justice. You're basically saying the work of Christ on the cross was not enough. Okay? He's faithful and he's just. The other problem is in in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift. And Romans 5, 16 and 17. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. So salvation is a gift and the righteousness that is imputed into us is also a gift. Now the question is, for all those who had your birthdays last week and you got gifts, how much did it cost you to get your gift? Nothing. You never pay for your gift. Somebody else pays always, right? Unless you are slightly off, you pay, buy a gift and present it to yourself. Usually, as far as I know, every gift is free. Right? So how much does it cost you to get a gift? It's free. Nothing. The only thing you have to do is receive it. Okay. But you see, Leo... Ten was very smart and he had a very smart salesman. His name was Tetzel. He was called the selling machine. One of his most famous line when he sold this forgiveness translated in English is like this. As soon as the gold in the casket rings, the rescued soul to heaven springs. You see, that's how advertisement, you know, you buy the product because half the catch is in those advertisement and the slogan. Okay, so when you have a slogan like this, an entire set of people, millions upon millions upon millions upon millions, who do not have this and do not have the right to have this. You cannot have a Bible, okay? 
cannot have a Bible. Who do not have a Bible, have no access to it. Bibles are all in the hands of the priest alone. And here is the priest going around with his slogan. So, it was a roaring business. Roaring business. In the middle of it is there is another priest. Overcome by his guilt. Man who has sinned much. His name was Martin Luther. Overcome by his guilt. Guy who fasted repeatedly. Who slept in the snow without blankets. Hoping that would stop him from sinning or bring some consolation. Endured repeated beatings. He even kissed the steps that goes up to the Pope's throne. All this he died to get this guilt off. Nothing helped. Then this monk read scripture. And his eyes fell on two scripture. One was Romans 1.17. That is, yeah, Romans 1.17 and 3.28. For in it, that is in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then Romans 3. Therefore we conclude a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. He realized something. You cannot buy forgiveness. You cannot buy. It's a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. The problem for the Catholic Church is not that this man just believed you cannot buy salvation and you, therefore you cannot buy forgiveness. He also said if you cannot buy salvation or buy forgiveness, you can't sell it either. You can't sell it. That is how the Reformation began. His 95 thesis is against this. Salvation is by faith. It's a free gift. It cannot be sold. Suddenly the other salesmen started having real trouble. Okay, So this is, you need to understand how each faith stands. Because one billion people are Catholics. Many of us here came from there. So scripture is very clear. We can never be good enough to please God. Never. Salvation is a free gift. And our works will never justify us before God. I know people find it very difficult, no? Let me give you an illustration, slightly wonky illustration, but let me give you that illustration. Imagine you came to my home in the morning. You were very hungry, okay? And which is true, last night I had my dinner and I just dumped them all into the sink. Okay, this morning I washed them up. You look at my plate, it is all greasy. Sitting on the sink, all greasy kicked. And you came. And you said, I'm hungry. And I said, okay, let me make something for you. Let's say I made you an omelette. And it's smelling really good. And it's, you're hungry. And your appetite is now, no? It's, it's keen now. But I take the omelette, omelette and put it in that dirty plate and give it to you. What would be your response? Now, is there any problem with the omelette? What's the problem with the container? See, the problem is not with our good works. The problem is the person. That's why God says, your righteousness is like filthy rags. 
The problem, so people get very upset. What do you mean my good works are bad works? No. That's not what it means. Our good works are not acceptable because in the package it comes. It comes from you and me before we are born again. It comes from a person who is totally unacceptable. That is why before any work can be acceptable for God, we have to first receive His work, which is we receive it as a gift, the gift of salvation. Gift of salvation. And the problem here is, if I wash that plate and put the omelette into it and gave it to you, you would eat it. And the thing with this, there is only one substance that can clean up a person. That is the blood of Jesus. Outside the blood of Jesus, nothing, absolutely nothing can make that container, that vessel acceptable in God's sight. Maybe man's sight, many things. God's sight, there is only one thing. That is what scripture says. If we confess, he is faithful. And what cleanses? The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That is why authentic Christianity, the real Christianity is absolutely, absolutely different from every other religion. Every other religion. It's absolutely different. There is no comparison between authentic Christianity and any religion. Now if you come to the major, the main religion of this land, which is Hinduism. Hinduism believes primarily on the concept. Okay, primary concept is what is called karma. Now don't mistake karma. Many people, many Christians also mistake karma and think karma is like what you sow, you reap. Because people will say, ah, that is your karma. That's not what actually karma means. Okay? Or the English saying what goes around, comes around. That is not what karma means. The basic concept about karma is that when you die, if your good deeds outweighs your bad deeds, it's in the balance, then you got a chance. You got a better chance. Okay. That's the actual concept about karma. But the problem is you're still working for your forgiveness. You are still working for your righteousness. You are still working for your salvation. And those of us who know the real God know that we will be never good enough, good enough for God. Okay. And when sin increases, so all concepts come in, sin increases in the world, then God steps in the flesh, that is called an avatar into the flesh. What does it come for? Yuga to yuga. I am born for what? Destroy sinners and save the... So the concept is completely different. They are not, it's not the same at all about what we believe. Concept is completely... That's why you have the nine avatars over and they are waiting for the tenth one. But what they are waiting for, it's a completely different concept from what we are waiting for. Okay, so get your fundamentals clear so that you know that you have an answer for what you believe, an answer to give when somebody asks you, 
why is, what how how do you think your faith is so different okay so the major religion over here is hinduism the primary facet of hinduism they have many schools but this is the major it is a karmic so if your karma is good you could become a better person in the next and keep on evolving okay it's a different kind of evolution but you keep on evolving when you come to buddhism please understand buddha never talked about god okay but it's pretty difficult if you really know the core of buddhism this is the core of buddhism right belief we don't know what is right belief right intent right speech right behavior right livelihood career job like if you are a butcher meaning somebody who kills you will be looked down in buddhism but that's not a good livelihood okay right effort right concentration right conception you see all is connected with the whole set of things about right 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 thing that it is impossible for any buddhist to be a buddhist this it's honestly it is impossible if you if you really lived among buddhists which i did i grew up among them you go into any place in buddhism where buddha actually never talked about god what you have is occult it's not buddhism it's occult you look at those images they have in their monasteries it is not there one of buddha of course but it is not buddha the rest okay they immediately move into occult okay buddhism also takes a lot from hinduism and actually talks about migration of souls but buddhism's concept about migration of souls and the end is different from hinduism in buddhism you ultimately disappear into nothing okay so understand if you talk to a buddhist you talk to a buddhist or talk to a hindu you need to know where they are coming from you need to be gentle you need to know where you are coming from should be able to show what is the difference when it comes to the youngest religion we have which is called islam is based on five pillars one is called faith or sahada the other is prayer salat the third is zakat or charity the fourth is fasting and the fifth is hajj pilgrimage to the mecca when it comes to faith you will see the muslim begins with a declaration that there is no god but god and muhammad is his prophet that is the declaration of his faith so he has these five pillars these five pillars and his entire salvation for him is based on this five and it is in his hands he is also working for his salvation he prays five times a day facing mecca before he goes to pray he washes himself as a sign of out of purification and also prayer there are set positions so you will see everything is in his hands okay 
the more you stick to these five pillars, the more devout you become. Then you come to the smaller or the smallest among in terms of numbers, the religion which is closest to Christianity, which is called Judaism. It is the closest. But the problem with Judaism is the Jews do not know the purpose of Judaism. Judaism has a purpose. The Jewish religion has a purpose. Now, if, if it's like a sign, okay? Like, if there is a sign over there, somebody told you, where is Grace Tabernacle Church? And somebody says, at Jivan Jyoti. And you come over there, see Jivan Jyoti, look at Jivan Jyoti, and admire Jivan Jyoti, and go away. You experience nothing. Okay? The book of Galatians, this is what God says in 3 and verse 34. Galatians 3, 34. Sorry, 24. 3.24 Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Okay, Judaism is the law. The purpose of Judaism was to lead people to Christ. But what happened when Christ appeared, Judaism turned against him. Turned against him. They couldn't. They were mad at him. The entire religious class. The purpose of the religion was to point man to Christ, but the religion itself fails in its purpose. We have a saying in English, okay? Uh, it is, you see, when you, when a farmer plants something to protect it, he puts a fence around his farm, okay? Okay. What happens if the fence itself eats the crops, so we have a saying in English, the fence eating the crop. Okay, The purpose of Judaism was to point man to Christ. But Judaism opposed Christ the most. Judaism handed Christ into the hands of the Roman law to be crucified. So understand where each of these religions come from. You, because Judaism, you don't have to know because you, I mean, you don't have to teach because you know well about the Old Testament now. So you have different religions. What is the background of Catholicism? What are the practices of what still happens today? And what do they believe in? Because salvation is primarily by works there. Hinduism, salvation is primarily by works. Islam, salvation is primarily by works. Judaism, salvation is primarily by works. Then we come to the worst one, which is a kind of religion, what you see today and what's happening and taking over the world, especially the West, is very militant atheism. Okay? These are a people without God and without religion. Therefore, the problem with atheism, and you, I will tell you, you look into your hearts today, this part where I'm telling you, many of you are atheists, or you have picked atheistic philosophy and implanted it along with your religion. Therefore, you do the things which you do, and have no guilt or shame about it. In militant atheism, there is no good or evil. It does not mean an atheist cannot be a good person, or all who believe in God are good but they don't believe in good or evil. It simply means that if there is no moral authority that is above us and sets the standard of what is right and wrong, 
then morality is determined either by a culture or by the majority who holds power. Okay? That is why the laws in the West are being changed. Because you cannot tell a militant atheist abortion is wrong. Why is abortion wrong? Because we value life. Who told you life has value? Who told you life has value? We don't believe life has any value. We don't believe life has value. Those who take drugs, they take drugs based on a philosophy which they don't even realize they have subscribed to you to, which is an atheistic philosophy which says a human being and his body has no value. That's what I've said. There are many atheists in the house of God. One of the greatest novelists, philosophers, Dorowski said, without God, all is permitted. Not anything. All is permitted. If you know of all crimes done by religious people, whether you want to talk about Islam or Catholicism, or Protestant, remember, Protestant is not also kosher. Protestants also have killed and burned people and all that. Okay, all religions put together, Islam, Christianity, Catholicism, Buddhism, every militant religion you can talk about. The greatest massacres have been done by atheists. Uncountable. If you took, if you take 6,000 years of human history and look at the past 100, 200 years of atheistic history, the number the atheists have killed, like communists in Eastern Europe and Russia, or the communists in China, or the Khmer Rouge, or the Pol Pot's regime, all of them, billions, there's no value to life. There's no value. Okay? Because they do not accept any concept, there is an authority, there is good or evil. And this is the primary force behind abortion, behind gay marriage, and all the movements that you see in the West today happening down to yesterday's headlines. You read these headlines and you're looking, what is happening? Because there is a force that is happening behind it. And it all comes from militant atheism. And I am telling you, there are many young people here who are atheists without realizing it. Subscribing to very facets of atheists. And there are many women, Christian women, who are basically subscribing to militant atheism. Feminism is the result of militant atheism. And God has said we are not the same. And there is an order in which he has placed the entire revolt against that order. does not come from the church. It doesn't come from the word of God. It doesn't even come from the spirit of God. The entire revolt comes from militant atheism. And we don't realize many are militant atheists without even knowing they are. And they're subscribing to a philosophy behind which, like Pastor Vijay said, behind everything, there is a spirit. There is a spirit. 
So we need to know what we believe. So coming back to Luther, you know what Luther did? He revolted against what he knew was against what God is and what God has revealed. So when the other issue was, after that uh, rose the Protestants. Okay, Protestant basically means who protested against the dogma of the Catholic Church. But the problem is when men like Luther or Calvin arose, people tend to build their theology around those men. So you have Lutherans, Calvinists, okay. After his death, Lutheran's followers were called Lutherans. Despite the fact, this is what Luther wrote. I'm reading to you the translation of what Luther wrote. The first thing I ask is that people should not make use of my name and should not call themselves Lutherans, but Christians. What is Luther? The teaching is not mine, nor was I crucified for anyone. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 would not tolerate Christians calling themselves Pauls or Peters, but only Christians. How did I, a poor, stinking bag of maggots that I am, come to the point where people call the children of Christ by my evil name? This is what he wrote. But because he knows these labels will divide Christians. So... Those who subscribe to Luther's teachings call themselves Lutherans. Then those who have a method call themselves Methodists. It all comes from, okay? <laughs> Honestly, those they will pick one thing and that becomes primary and then a name evolves around it, okay? So you have a Baptist who fought and died for the right for immersion baptism and the entire Christian culture was sprinkling, which Luther also kept quiet about it. He didn't want to get into that. Anglican church, when they broke away from the Roman Catholic church, also spoke about it, didn't get into it because it was too problematic. Because if you get into immersion baptism, then the problem is from the king onwards, everybody has to be baptized. That's why they all knew this was problematic and kept the word in its original tongue without translating it. Baptism, baptism, baptism. Nobody understood what baptism is because in the original language, baptism means immersion. They kept it like that. So, you have to understand these things are important. Okay, Baptists died for the doctrine of baptism. So, we admire them. Okay, many, many Baptists because they said this is the only way scripture says you can be baptized because baptism is a burial service and you need to immerse the whole person. They drowned the Baptists in their baptismal tanks. Okay, so, but this shouldn't become labels. Then comes the Pentecostals. They pick a day and make a name out of a day. <laughs> okay. okay, it's just an experience. What we can talk about is we can have various labels, so many labels. But ultimately scripture says this is only one thing that matters. Are we outside Christ? Or inside Christ. If you are outside Christ. Then it doesn't matter what the label means. It's irrelevant. How many have seen the movie called Ben-Hur? Several times. <laughs> That's an honest confession. <laughs> okay. 
Others haven't seen Ben-Hur. It's a Christian movie. It's worth seeing. Okay, it's a good movie. Very old. No, Charles Heston acted in that, if I'm right. Yeah. You know, Charles Heston, when he acted, the, the, the main scene is the chariot race. The main climax of that movie is the chariot race. Okay. It took five weeks those days. And 15,000 extras and 18 chariots to film that scene, the chariot race. And Charles Heston spent weeks and weeks learning to drive the chariot. One day he told the stunt director, I can drive the chariot, but I am not sure I can win. Smiling, the stunt director said, Hey, Chucky, they used to call him Chucky. Chucky, you just make sure you stay in the chariot. I will make sure you win the race. Because he's got the script. In the script, what does it say? You win. (laughs) So my only advice to you is, stay in the chariot. If you fall on the chariot, then we have to keep on reshooting it. Okay? My only advice to you, stay in the chariot. So we see Charles Heston was going to win the race because it was in the script. There was no way he was going to lose because it did not depend on him. It depended upon the director of the movie. If the director decided he was going to win, he was going to win. The only thing Charles Heston had to do was to stay in the chariot. God has already decided you and I are going to make it. The only thing we are asked to do is stay in Christ. And the entire gospel is about getting people who are outside Christ, outside God, and getting them into God through Christ and stay in Christ. Stay in Christ. Okay. So get things right. When we talk about Sola, the five Solas, And we talk about by faith alone. Luther never said it. It was written on the margin of his Bible. And it is not true. Fully true. We are not saved by faith alone. Okay? If you have to look at scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and verse 8, or Ephesians 2, 8, will say, by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is the gift of God. So we are saved by grace. Through faith. So we are saved by grace. To be saved, it's not enough. You need faith. You need grace. So be very sure grace is flowing through your faith. Otherwise, I have faith. But you may not be saved if you don't receive grace. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, scripture says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. So we are also saved by Repentance and genuine conversion. Okay, so these are all scripture. You have to all put it together. Okay, grace of God for me to receive the grace of God through faith. So how do I test my faith is real? What is that? Scripture says, repent and be converted. The first act of salvation is forgiveness of sins. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 will say, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes 
unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So there is action, there is confession, the lordship of Jesus is accepted and received. So there is another thing also that is connected with salvation. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, when those people asked, what should we do? Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized for the remission of your sins. So there is now baptism also. In Mark 16, 16, scripture will say, he who believes, it is not enough to be baptized, you need to believe and is baptized, will be saved. Okay, if you put it all together, there is repentance, there is conversion, there is confession, there is genuine believing, and there is baptism. All this is our act of faith. And the grace of God flows. Okay, so that's how you and I are saved. When this happens, we are put in Christ. But since we still are free Moral beings like before we were saved. That means we have the freedom to choose. All the subsequent teaching is how to stay in Christ. In Acts 24-24, when Paul is speaking, preaching to Felix, and after some days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. He didn't hear him about faith. He was talking to about a faith that is in Christ. Okay. So scripture will always tell us to examine our faith to see whether Christ is there in our faith. So 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 will say examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. So how do you know? Test yourself. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? We are in Christ and Christ is in us. That is why we are called to because everything is based on this one thing. Are we in Christ? If you are in Christ, then God says, you don't have to worry. If you are in Christ, you are constantly examining that. You look through Bible, it's interesting, the new covenant. In Romans 8.1, scripture says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In verse 2, scripture will say, For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ. If you are not, in Christ, but you are a Christian by name and you have attended church for 30 years, you still will not know this law. And you will still not experience this freedom. Because it's only found in Christ. In Christ. In Romans 12 and verse 5, sorry, Romans 8 and verse 30, 29, I think it's uh, Romans 39, sorry, not 29, you got gave 29, it's 39. Yeah. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is... See, the love of God can be experienced only in Christ. You find me 
any person from any religion and ask them, have they experienced the love of God? They will not be able to say. Nobody. You ask a Muslim. <gasps> Don't even mention his name. He's so far away. You ask a Buddhist. No. You ask a Hindu. No. You ask a Jew. No. You ask a Christian. A genuine Christian. He has experienced the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Experiences the love of God in Christ Jesus. In Romans 12 and verse 5, scripture says, So we being many are one body in Christ. You know, the more you start staying away from the word and obeying the word of God and staying away from the physical body on earth, you see, you will also stop feeling that we are one body. One body. Because there is a spiritual reality and there is a physical part, act of faith, which makes you know that you are one body. But scripture says, in Christ. So the entire teaching is about being in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. In Christ. In Christ, victory guaranteed. In Christ, because Christ is never defeated. Christ is never defeated. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 17. For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in every preacher, scripture says, should only speak in Christ. In Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 14, <clears throat> their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away only in Christ. If you and I are not in Christ, which is true, I know it is true, you read this, it's good reading material, that's all. The veil is never lifted. The veil is in Christ, only your eyes are open to the person of the Bible. Otherwise you just read the Bible and it is not life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, scripture says, if you are, <coughs> not 317, I'm sorry, 517, if you are in Christ Jesus, you, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old things have passed away. Now tell, let me tell you the other side, another part, Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Everything God has given us is hidden in Christ. And if we are not in Christ, we will not see it, we will not experience it. It is in Christ. In Ephesians 2, 6 scripture says, we are seated Raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 2 verse 5, you and I are called to have what? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. We are not even asked to think differently. 
None of these things happen overnight, but this is to what we are going. And First Thessalonians chapter four and verse six. No, no. Maybe Second Thessalonians four six, where it talks: those who are asleep or dead in Christ are the ones who will rise. If you didn't die in Christ, when the trumpet sound arises, you will be still lying there where you were buried. The first resurrection is for those who have died in Christ. And then we run for something. In Philippians 3.14, scripture says, I press towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ. Once we are in Christ, this is what we need to know. He picked me and there is a price Call of God in Christ for everyone. Are we getting? So to stay in Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, 11 and 15. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 says, There's only one foundation. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is in Christ Jesus. There's only one foundation. After that, If you build, verse 15 says, If anyone work is burnt, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. You you are in Christ. Thank God you are in Christ. Your foundation was right. But everything else was false. So you will still come into heaven because you were in the chariot. What did the stunt director say, Charles Heston? As long as you stay in the chariot, You'll win. You'll win. Stay in. Stay in. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10 to 11. Scripture says, life is more than that. Therefore, brethren, even more be diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we are going to turn from there to something else. Now, we got the foundations, the fundamentals of religions. We found the foundation of our salvation. And I pray you have repented, you have converted, you have believed, you have confessed, and you are in Christ. We're going to take a shift. Okay, now we're going to take a shift. And let me tell you, don't get, uh, don't get confused or too excited in the flesh. There are certain things in the Bible which one needs to know. Which are realities in the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament. If you want and I want a rich entrance into the kingdom of God, Different kinds of entrance in the kingdom of God. If you and I want to stand firm in the light of anything the devil or the world can throw at us, there are certain things that is mentioned in the Bible which we need to experience. And it is experienced, it can be experienced because it is there in the word. And strange part is Jesus talks something to the Samaritan woman. 
To the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, Jesus will say something. He will say, the hour is coming and now is when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Now I want you to really be serious, okay? Because this, so far it was foundation. Don't get distracted. Don't move around. Listen, because this is serious stuff. Seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. God is what? Spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. God is not a physical being like us. God is spirit. If God is spirit and we are physical, let us use the other scientific term. God is spirit and we are matter. That's what it makes us physical being. God is not made of matter. Demons are not made of matter. Angels are not made of matter. They are spiritual beings. So we are made of matter. We live in a physical world. And if God is spirit, what kind of a world does he live in? So scripture says, when Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. It talks about power. It talks about authority. But also when you think about a kingdom, it's also a place. So his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. The spiritual kingdom. One day the spiritual kingdom will be translated for us, those who are living when he comes, into a physical kingdom. But the kingdom is now a spiritual kingdom. It will be manifested to us as a physical kingdom. So God's kingdom is spiritual. God's realm, the word we use is realm. Our realm, we live in the physical realm. God lives in the spiritual realm. And God says, true worshippers will worship God in spirit and in truth. Demons are spirit. And the realm, the demonic operates is a spiritual realm. You ask, I met many. You ask anybody in any religion who is into occult, they have seen the demonic realm. They've seen the demonic. They see. And they can see it very clearly what's happening there. So if the demonic realm, why I'm telling you this is because the entire world is going to hell in a handbasket because they are going into the demonic realm and people don't care where power comes from. They don't care. And there is power in the other realm. And God's people don't rise up with power that is greater than that. They are not going to believe. Because what's happening in the last days is what happened on Mount Carmel and what happened with Egypt. It's a power encounter. It's a power encounter. What happened on Mount Carmel happened only because one man stood there up and locked up the spiritual realm and says, none of the demons of Baal will move. You're locked. You can jump, you can dance, you can cut, you can occult, you can chant, you can call. Nobody will move. I have bound you up. There is a power encounter that happens through scripture. And it didn't happen with everybody. It didn't happen with everybody. In John chapter 4 and verse 48, this was Jesus' issue. Jesus said to them, unless you people signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. What is a sign? 
what is a wonder a sign and a wonder is which i perceive in the physical but it actually happens because something from the other realm has come into my realm and touched me if you have cancer medical science will say this is what you have to go through what is your stage chemo whatever 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 that is what my physical matter my mind has taught but when healing takes place it is something from the other side that has come and touched and when it happens what happened people believe there is another realm god is saying you don't need this to believe this is there because whether you see this or not it is still there it is still there our entire lives are being controlled by those realms and people says i don't see it so therefore i don't believe that's why jesus frustration his frustration is not with the gentiles remember it's not with the gentiles it's with the jews he said you got a history of a living god and you still want a sign the kingdom of god is here it's knocking at the door it's here and you still want a sign to know the kingdom of god is real and it exists that's what paul was talking about the kingdom of god is not a matter of talk it's a matter of power it's a matter of power understand this this can happen on both sides the power can happen from the demonic side it can happen on god's side so those who are into occult you ask them do you believe so of course you believe in exodus chapter 7 verse 10 and 12 this is when moses and aaron goes Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and they did so just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants it became a serpent. And Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers so the magicians of Egypt they also did in like manner with their it threw his rod it became a snake. They also threw their rods for every man threw down his rod they became serpents but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. so there is a power encounter in the power encounter if you need to survive you need to believe you need to have power that will swallow up their power otherwise you are not going to survive the gospel is not going to go anywhere it's not going to go anywhere when the demonic comes you will not be able to stand you'll not be able to stand the kingdom of god is the real it's a matter of power In chapter 7 verses 20 to 22 Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded so he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh in the sight of his servants and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood the fish that were in the river died this river stank and Egypt could not drink the water of the river so there was blood throughout the land of Egypt verse 22 then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments and pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them as the lord had said what did they do they also turned water into blood all nations kingdoms have survived and still surviving on demonic power they are ruled using demonic power understand that okay jesus if you look at jesus life have you noticed he always knew what he was going to do 
He always knew what he was going to do. How did he know? How did he know? He always knew. Even when the feeding of the 5,000, when we look at it, scripture says he just asked them to test them because they knew. He knew what he was going to do. So here is a man in the flesh who is intimately connected with this. There is no man who walked on earth the way he walked. He is in the flesh, in the physical realm, entirely connected moment by moment with the other through the spirit. Okay. Scripture will see the disciples saw all this. They saw all the encounters. Now he's dead. He's risen. They saw him after the resurrection. They saw him after the resurrection. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 45, scripture says, they opened, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scripture. So first there is an opening of the eyes, of the mind of the mind, where they could understand scriptures. Then in verse 49, he will still tell them something. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, tarry in the city in Jerusalem until you are endured with power on high. He says, don't move. Don't move. Why is he telling them? He says, what you are going to go through and face, you cannot handle it without power. You cannot handle without power. You need power for that. Okay, And we know On the day of Pentecost, something happened to that group who were faithful. I'll show you stuff in scripture which you need to look and you need to see what was happening to these people. In Acts chapter 7, verse 55 and 56, talking about Stephen. He being full of the Holy Spirit, what does scripture say? Gazed into heaven. And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is something about what the Spirit does. Here is a man dying and he's full of the Holy Spirit and from the physical realm, he is opened and he sees the spiritual realm. And he says, I see the heavens open. Once he sees that, he's not even thinking about his death. Not even thinking about his death. In the next chapter, you have a simple man called Philip, who is one of the seven chosen to assist at the tables. In Acts chapter 8, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. He's going. Angel told him. He went. In verse 29, you will see it's an Ethiopian eunuch. And the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. First an angel speaks. The spirit tells him, speak. Okay, spirit speaking. So he's not hearing it with his physical ears. He's hearing it with his spiritual ears. Because we are not physical beings alone. Once you are born of the spirit, we are what? Spiritual. So he hears. And then in verse 39, when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. It is not only that, the Holy Spirit just picks Philip from there and drops him up in another place. Did you see? Did you see that? This is not normal. Because in our normal reasoning mind, when we read all that, we just go through it. 
without even thinking, hey, wait a second, what's happening over here? It's happening over here. When you come to Acts chapter 9, this is Saul of Tarsus, a man who was righteous according to the law, zealous for the Lord. What happens? As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. So this light that is shining is not from earth. It is not connected with the natural lights we are used to, the sun or the moon or anything, something else. He fell to the ground, the effect of it was such, he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why you are persecuting me? He heard. Light, he heard. You will see there was a company among them. Nobody heard or understood what the voice was speaking, just Saul of Tarsus. So it was not a physical voice. It was not a physical voice. One man. They're all the same group. They all probably speak the same language. One man alone heard. Then he said, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. You see through the Bible, old or new, you will see the supernatural realm or God's realm intervening into the physical realm in the lives of people. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, Scripture says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard. I heard. But when did he hear? When he was in the spirit. He heard. Now he's not hearing with his physical ears. He's hearing with his spiritual ears. And what does verse 12 say? Then I turned to see. Now it's not only his ears that are opened. His eyes are opened. He's able to see. And that's he sees Jesus. Then from there onwards begins the entire book of Revelation because now he's hearing and he's seeing. And he's writing down later what he heard and what he saw. Now the difference is this. If you and I, if I hear, you're hearing with your spirit, your physical ears and you are seeing and you're struggling with both physical ears and eyes. And you're writing down notes. Now if you were to be told after you go back, do you remember what you heard today? Just only for one and a half hours, two hours. You won't remember 90% of it. John the Apostle will remember line by line and write it down. Because what you hear in the spirit, you don't forget. You don't forget. It doesn't go clear. Absolutely clear. Okay. So there is a hearing, there is a seeing. Now let us not fast forward, let's reverse, rewind to the Old Testament, looking at different people, okay, so that you know and you believe. I'm not saying you should have a like crazy experience. Be very balanced in this. Be very, but don't put anything away from God. In Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 1, here is a young man, very young man. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chabar, that the heavens were open. Heavens were opened. And I saw visions of... It's different. See, our problem is when we read this, we will say he saw a vision. That's not what is happening. That's not what is happening. The heavens were open for him and he is seeing heaven. 
Okay. He's saying visions. In verse 3, scripture says, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Shabar, and the hand of the Lord was upon him. The hand of the Lord upon him is not a physical hand. It's a spiritual hand, but you feel it in your physical body. That's what happened to me 20 years ago. When the hand of the Lord came upon me, I looked around, I couldn't see anybody, but my shoulder was burning. The hand of the Lord was upon him. Okay, upon him there. Now look, you'll see, read the entire, we don't have time for the entire book of Ezekiel, but look, just showing you so that you are aware of, because the problem is the entire world is absolutely aware of the demonic realm, and they are willing to give your body to the demonic realm to satisfy the pleasure the demonic realm gives to you. Well, God says, in my presence is the fullness of joy and my right hand is pleasures evermore. And we won't surrender. Because we know it takes hard work. We have to be full of truth for the spiritual eyes to be opened. And our spiritual eyes are open only as we grow in truth and obedient to the truth. We know that. But the world is offering it free. Offering it free. And people get hooked onto it. That's why you have to realize you have to replace one with the other. And they have to see. They will say, what do you have to offer? I see this, I see this, I see this, I see this. You should be able to see that. You know what? That will take you to hell. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Then the spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me. Now, this is physical. Understand this. Everything he heard, he saw in the spirit. Now, the most important chapter of, not important in that sense, but what Bible scholars teach about is 37. Where you will see something, verses 1 to 3. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. Trusting. Construction, right? Now, if you think with your rational mind, it doesn't make any sense. What is this talking about? The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. Are you getting it? What is this? The hand of the Lord goes in, picks up Ezekiel's spirit and puts him in the spirit of God takes him to a place which is distant away and puts him on his feet and he's standing there far away from where he actually was. Standing in a valley full of bones. And he tells him, cause me to pass by them all around and behold, there were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. Verse 3. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones look? She answered, O oh Lord, you know. You know. You know what God tells him? Looking at a whole valley of dry bones. Full of, this is spiritual. What he is seeing. Valley full of dry bones. Okay? Now, what he is seeing, put it in terms of example in which you will understand, if the hand of the Lord comes upon me and the Spirit takes me and he puts me right there in Grace Tabernacle Church and sees, I may not be seeing, I may be seeing a valley full of dry bones in which there is no life. 
That's what he's seeing. He's seeing the spiritual reality of people. And he's asking, can they live? Can they live? He says, you know. He says, you do one thing. Verse 4. He said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. He says, you do one thing. You preach to them. Oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. That's where it begins. Speak. You know what happens as he speaks? Scripture says, so I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a noise. Now this noise is in the spirit, not in the physical. What is happening? A sudden rattling. The bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed I looked, the sinews, the flesh came upon them, the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Now what happened during the ministry of the word of God? In your spirit things are falling into place. This is how you were. This is how you are becoming. This is how you were. This is how you are becoming. This is how you were. This is, it is changing. Bone by bone, it is falling. If our spiritual ears are open, we will hear a rattling noise. It's not that you have any problem with your spine, but it is the word of God working in your life. Coming, 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 coming together. That's only if you are hearing and you are listening. But this is God's side. Our response, we believe, we obey, we believe there's an order coming into our lives. But there was no breath in them. No breath in them. Now what does it do? Verse 9 and 10. So he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy to the not prophesy to the bones. Prophesy to the breath. Who is the breath? The Holy Spirit, the Ruah. Prophesy to the breath. Son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. That is what will happen. I believe one more time before the end comes, a great army will stand up because God has breathed upon them once more. God is not defeated by the demonic or faced by the demonic, but he needs a set of people who will believe they will stand up. But for that first order has to come. We are still struggling with getting that bones in place. Before God can really breathe upon the church. Getting the bones in place. Are we getting the picture? Are we seeing stuff in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that there is something which people experience not that because they were special people, but people because they believed and they obeyed and they consecrated themselves to a move of God. In Second Kings chapter 2, Verse 1, it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind. We are given history, not as it is happening, but we are being postscript, okay? That Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now we know this story well, we have heard it many times, we have preached it many times, okay? Here is Elijah, I'll come to that if time permits about how Elijah reached this point. Now he's going to go, and he also knows how he's going to go. He's not going to go like other people. He's not going to die and be buried. 
is going to go to heaven in a whirlwind. And there is one man who has been tagging around with him for years and years and years and years. Nothing is mentioned about him. But Elijah, Elijah has been teaching him, teaching him, teaching him, teaching him, teaching him, teaching him. And without realizing all his bones are falling into place. His theology is correct now. Okay. He's going from Gilgal. What happens when he goes from Gilgal? We know the story. He goes from Gilgal, Gilgal to Bethel, Bethel to Jericho, Jericho to Jordan. It's interesting, at every one of these stops, there are others also. In verse 3, that the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to them, Do you know the Lord will take away your master over from, from over you today? He said, I know. Keep silent. So, these are all sons of prophets. They have a level of spiritual hearing. So they all know. He has taught them all. This is what Elisha did later. This is what Elijah did later. He goes from town to town to town to town to town. This is a Bible college. But everybody in the Bible college is called a prophet. It's not called a pastor. Because the primary teaching is prophecy. It's breathing out the life of God. The life of Christ. So they are all sons of prophets, all prophets. And they all know today is the day Elijah will go. He says, I also know. Keep quiet. They go to the next point in verse 5. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said, Do you know the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Now they are not giving him information. None of them would ever walk with Elijah the way Elisha walked, but they envy his walk. So they are telling, Hey, hey, today your master will go. He says, I know, shut up. We want to see what will happen to you after your master. That is the end over there. He says, keep silent. They know. Then you will realize they come to the final point which is the river of death or Jordan. And they, verse 7 will say, 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the river Jordan. Okay, 50 of them followed, but they wouldn't go to the bank. They stood from far to watch what is happening. This is the problem. We set limits to what God can do to us in the spiritual realm. Because we don't want to commit ourselves into our hands because we want to retain a level of control over our lives. But when Ezekiel came, your scripture will say the hand of the Lord came, picked him up, put him in the spirit, took him into another place and said, what do you see? No control. Control is in my hand, not yours. That's why Jesus says we limit God because the whole idea is will we give control into his hands or not? They stood a little far off while the two of them stood over there. Then verse 8 and 9 will say they crossed. Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water. It was divided this way and that. So the two of them crossed over. Elijah is cool. A river, no need for boat or anything. He just hits it. River divides, he crossed over. So it was that when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha. She wouldn't till then. Every point he said, why are you following me? Stay back. He said, no, I'm following you. But when they crossed over this and they're both finally alone. And he has reached the place where he's going to be taken. He said, ask me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. What do you want? What do you want? He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. Of your spirit to be upon me. I've seen you. I've seen your life. I've seen stuff happening with you. I've seen it all. I want a double portion of it. Listen to his answer. He said, you have asked a hard thing. 
I'm not saying that you will not get it. What you have asked is hard. But I will tell you something. How I will know you will get it. If you see me being taken, shall be yours. But if not, shall not be. He said, I know a secret. You want a double portion or you are, let's, and people get upset when you use these terms, but it is true in spiritual progress. If you are worthy enough to receive the double, only salvation is a gift. Everything else is not a gift. If you are worthy enough to receive a double portion, there will be something. You will see how I am taken. None of the others will. Your eyes will be opened. You getting the picture? Verse 11 and 12. It happened as they continued on and talked, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. See, we always, if you look at scripture, people will always, if I were to ask, how did Elijah go to heaven? Everybody will say he went in a chariot. He did not go in a chariot. He went in a whirlwind. The whirlwind was caused as a result of that chariot. That is what he told in the beginning. He knew he was going to heaven in a whirlwind. You have seen the whirlwind, right? Okay. The chariots of fire came, separated the both of them. A whirlwind also came and took him and they are gone. And Elisha saw it. Elisha saw it. And he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. What did he do? He took hold of his own clothes, tore them into two pieces, and he will take the mantle of Elijah. That's the last thing of planet earth Elijah has with him. And as he's going, he drops that also. In verse 15 and 16, it is interesting. Now the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him. They did not see Elijah going. They saw him. How did they say? And they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elijah, Elisha. How did they know him? Because he split River Jordan and walked back and they said, okay, now something has happened here. This guy is God. What was on Elijah? So they bowed. They said to him, look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master. Lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. He said, you shall not send anyone. He said, we don't know where he's gone. Maybe the spirit took him and dropped him. He knows very exactly where he's gone and how he's gone. Okay. But they kept on insisting. So he was so ashamed. What was he ashamed about? Scripture doesn't say he was so angry. He was so ashamed that this was for all of them. But because of their unbelief, they did not receive it. He said, okay, look, they searched for two, three days and they come back. Said, they didn't find. Okay. So are you seeing something here? The thing is that what I'm saying is, you, when you read the Bible and you see people and stuff which God does, don't limit God in your lives. By your unbelief. Ah, this has happened then. Has God changed? Is there any yesterday, today and tomorrow in the spiritual realm? No. There's nothing like that. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. 
the question is what happened to elijah when did this take place we know about elijah elijah we know he was a man of intense prayer we don't know when god touched him what transformed his life all is secret because nothing about elijah is mentioned till the day he appears full grown and stands before king ahab so this is a hidden life what we know he heard from god so first thing is that this is a man of intense prayer and he has spiritual ears are open he heard from god he went obeyed god he stood before king ahab and he spoke and after that he will constantly hear god telling elijah turn here turn here do this do this do this do this is put through the ringer because see our problem is we read the bible and see what elijah was going through but we forget what james says elijah was a man just like us just like us elijah is not a man who is living in the spirit is living in the body so it is difficult to live in the body and yet to operate in the spirit when you are being faced by physical obstructions and enemies It's not easy, but that's how God breaks people. Months, months at chariot, all alone, no humanity, nothing. Just a raven comes in the morning and the evening. The king's soldiers, army, searching for you day and night. All over the world is searching. Then you go and live right under the enemy's nose, living with a poor widow, and all you have is her barrel doesn't go. empty why because the word of the lord came to you and you are seeing a miracle happening then her son dies then he brings her to all kind of things are happening if you know mount carmel do you think we'll have the guts to stand alone there on the mountain the whole king's army is against you all the prophets are against you and they have power and all the people are neutral and you're standing there all alone what do you have the word of the lord what if fire doesn't fall you have finished where does your boldness come from your boldness comes from the spirit that is where your boldness comes from do you remember if you were there yesterday you would have remembered i told you about two prayer positions on two different mountains one is uh, moses when the amalekites hit at refidim he's standing on the hill with his hand upraised with the rod of god in his hand one hand of intercession the exaltation of the word of god when both happens amalek loses your flesh dies whenever these two starts coming down your flesh wins when does flesh win when the word of god and your prayer life is affected the flesh starts winning that's one picture but the second picture you have is on mount carmel on mount carmel it's a different picture it's a different prayer altogether fire has come but now you need rain fire has come now you need rain scripture says ahab went to eat and drink he went back up on the mountain he's on his face with his head between his knees what is that picture every mother knows when she does her scan that's the picture the baby lies in head between the knees it's a picture when something new is birthed that's a position god has told him to be in head between the knees on his face on 
He's got a servant who has walked with him. We don't know what the name of the servant. We don't know how long he's walked with him. Theologians say it was that widow's son who was his servant. Because at Chariot there was no servant. Kamal there is a servant. In between there is only one young man over there. It is that widow's son. So they believe it was the widow's son who has lived in the same house with Elijah. Seen this man. He told him, you go. Do you see? Nothing. Do you see? Nothing. Do you see? Nothing. Do you see? Nothing. Does Elijah move? Why? Why? Why is he not upset? First Kings chapter 8 and verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is. I already heard the rain falling. Already heard it. There is a transference from the physical, from the spiritual to the physical. It may take time. But once you have heard there, you know it's sure it's coming. And there is no doubt. Our issue is that we are not hearing in the spirit. That's why we are worried and anxious and making plans and depressed and anxious. God says, no, you hear there, you'll be very sure here. Very sure. It doesn't matter what the man of flesh, even if he has walked with you for so many years, he says, I see nothing, I see nothing, I see nothing. Go back. You keep on going back until you see because I've already heard. It's coming. It's coming. I've heard the sound, he said. And you know what happens after that. The rain comes, Ahab gets his chariot, he goes before the rain catches. Suddenly you see Elijah, the anointing is upon him. Now he's not hearing in the spirit, he's running in the spirit. So it's another experience. How can a man go faster than the king's chariot? But he's going, and he's not even a young man, he must be an old man. So there are stuff which God is saying. You don't have to worry about all these things the enemy will do. You can run faster than the fastest chariot. My spirit can do anything. Can pick you one place, put you in another place, make you run faster than the fastest car, the bullet train. All these things are nothing in the spiritual realm. You look at these things and you say, you know what? I haven't experienced it, but I believe. I believe. If it comes to me, one day, I will not stop it because of my unbelief. I believe everything that happens in the Bible. It is there. It was not only then, it is now too. Anytime God wants, He can do what He wants. He runs. Then something happens. He makes a boo-boo over there. He gets, Jezebel threatens him. He runs. He cuts and runs. And then God brings him up the mountain. On the mountain, something happens. In verse 9. Yeah. There he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left to seek to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and a strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks and the pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Two different things. These are not the same. 
One is a hearing in his ear. The other is a seeing with his spirit. This is the first time he is actually seeing with his spirit. Seen with his spirit. You know what? After this, the man changes. After this, the man changes. He's no longer afraid. The same guy who ran from Jezebel is no longer afraid. They have his dead. Another king is ruling. And you know what happens in Second Kings? Years later, we have nothing written about Elijah, his mentoring, Elisha and other prophets. You know what happens? So it was when, yeah, king sent him. That king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So he went up to him and there he was sitting on the top of a hill. And he spoke to him, man of God, the king has said, come down. Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire came down from heaven and consumed them. It's a different Elijah altogether. You see, spiritual experiences are graded and your boldness grows with it. It's no longer afraid. The same guy who ran away from Jezebel is saying, oh, I'm a man of God. That's what you call me. And you still come to arrest me. It's a contradiction here. You call me man of God. And you've come not come to pay homage or anything. You've come to arrest me. So if I'm a man of God for you, let the fire come down. Boom, they're gone. Next set comes. Same. Are you a man of God? I'm a man of God. Okay, let's fire come down. What, how does he do that? Because he's seeing something. The third group comes and he says, Lord, please, please don't do it. He said, okay. And God tells him, now go with that man. Do you see? That is what he was telling Elisha. Elisha, you have asked for a hard thing. But I will tell you something. If you see how I see, that means you can get it. If you see as I see, you can get it. So Elisha, unlike Elijah, starts his ministry at a higher plane. Higher plane. So unlike Elijah, you will never see Elisha afraid or running from anybody. Actually, others run from him. And you will see once in Elisha's life an entire army has surrounded him. And his servant, like Elijah's servant, his servant is petrified. He says, Lord, what will we do? We do here and an entire army over. He says, Lord, open his eyes. You'll see that. When the servant of the man of God arose and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots and servant went to him. Alas, my master, what shall we do? He answered, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. This man must be thinking. Then, Verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes. He may see. He may see. It's not physical eyes. These are spiritual eyes. The Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Did we see? Did we see? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, all of us know very well by now. What does it say? Shall walk by faith and not sight. Walk by faith. So, when you walk by faith, what does it mean? You're walking blindfolded? No. To walk, you need sight, right? So it is talking about a different thing altogether. 
When you cease walking in sight completely is when you start seeing in the spirit and sight doesn't bother you anymore. Doesn't bother you anymore. Because the spiritual eyes are open, your ears are open. And you see. And you realize the kingdom of God is real, that realm is real. What I'm saying is the demonic and their occult people can see into the demonic. Why are you limiting the spiritual when we are children of God? Let me tell you. Oh, yeah, let's go back to that. Paul will say, another man. I know a man in the Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Which is true. Which is absolutely true because you are not sure. When I went, I was not sure whether I went in the body or in the spirit. Only I can remember what I saw. It's a very strange experience where you see everything, but you are not sure whether you are in the body. Because at that time when you are seeing, you are not pinching yourself or anything. You are just seeing with your mouth open. Okay? I don't know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the... I don't know. The demonic guys all over this world, when they do their occult, they see into the second heaven. You see into the second heaven. He was taken... To the third, I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Okay. Here is he. Then in verse 7, scripture says, yeah, I didn't give it to you. Verse 7, yeah. Lest I should be exalted above measure, but the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan. To Lest I be Exalted. Are you seeing something? Now we want this experience. We don't want this. Every man who saw in the spirit was broken. Was broken. That's why I believe Elijah, God allowed him to cut and run before a woman. Let you be broken before I open your eyes. So that you will never boast. You will always remember I ran. I ran. That's why Elisha had all this. He could heal anybody, turn to all kind of things. He couldn't heal himself. He died of a disease. Here is Paul. Exceedingly great, this thing. And you know what he gets? A messenger of Satan. He's being inflicted by a demonic oppression, whatever it is, but no deliverance for him. The demon doesn't overpower him. He doesn't overpower the demon. It is this fellow hanging on to him every day. And every time he feels a little pride, this fellow pulls him down. Are you getting the picture? Now go back as I closed a few weeks back and we hear about the only miracle other than the resurrection of Jesus, which is there in all the feeding of the 5,000. Is the pattern the same? Every time the bread is mentioned, whether it is in the four Gospels or the road to Imam was five times, so in the Gospels, and then Corinthians 11 when Paul talks of it, it's the same. He took, he blessed, he broke. This blessing and breaking happens at the same time because Jesus doesn't say grace over us the way we do. 
By the time we finish grace, the food is cold. Okay? When Jesus blesses, he breaks. Okay? Now, like said earlier and yesterday's pastors, we are in Christ, all things are new. All things, old things are passed away. So if you want to know what blessing is, read Matthew chapter 5. Okay? Blessed are the poor in the spirit. Nobody automatically becomes poor in the spirit. You have to be made poor. And you will be made poor by God pushing you into situations where you can do nothing other than be broken. He will take everything off you. Strip you. Where you are powerless. Then you become broken. Poor in the spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn. Are you getting it? That's blessing. And in the process, as these blessings are increasing, 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 increasing in your life, which are spiritual blessings, okay? At some point in your life, you will be broken. And when you are broken, your eyes are opened. You see. You see. You see. The question is, we pray, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Do you want to go through the process? Will you commit yourself to that process? You will see. And God will have. Whether you I, and I don't believe or not, it doesn't matter. At the end, God will have a vast army who will see. They were taught. Everything was in shape. All the old things have passed away. Everything is new. Everything is new. There were dead bones. The bones have come into place. It's fresh the new, fresh skin. Everything is new according to the word of God. The breath of God comes in, they stand up, they are a vast army. And they are not afraid of the demonic. Demons are afraid of them. I'm not saying they will not die. They are not afraid of death. They are not afraid of death. There are things in the Bible, in God's kingdom, which is available. Which is available. And don't let this world steal it away from you. Don't let this flesh rob it from you. Don't let all these things. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. He cannot tell Timothy many things because God told him not to tell. So he gives him prescription how to go about in life. Timothy, 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 Timothy. You just got a taste of it. In the laying of hands you received a gift. A fan it to flames. But to fan it to flames, stop doing all this nonsense. Timothy. Cut out, cut out, cut out, cut out, cut out on one side and fan to flames, Timothy. As a father, as a teacher, I am wishing great for you, become greater than me. That's what Jesus, I want you to be greater than me. So believe, believe. Start the process little by little. That's why I say when the word of God comes, don't neglect it. Because the first thing God says is prophesy. The word. Believe the word. Take, don't, don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. No. It's the greatest danger that we take the word of God lightly. No. You come totally unprepared for the word. Prepared for the word. There were seven who came. You know, what one person told me? When they were leaving, when they were leaving at the airport, Probably the Holy Spirit convicted that person. 
hugged me and whispered in my ear, Pastor, I have to apologize. I slept through the sermon. He didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. You travel 10,000 kilometers, come here, you sleep through something which God had for you. People don't even realize when you come to the house of God and the word of God is coming and you sit there and sleep, it is judgment. It's just judgment. God says, you know what? He said very clearly, I will not throw pearls before swine. And the first thing you need to ask on a Saturday or any day is, Lord, I don't want to be a swine. Help me not to be a swine. It's not about who is preaching. It's not. That's not a question. The question is, even when you are sitting and reading the word of God on your own, get your heart ready. Get your heart ready and say, Lord, you know what? I humble myself before this because I realize power of your word. Understand the awesomeness of your word. Everything was created by the power of your word. Held together by your word and your spirit. And the spirit will not operate where the word is not exalted. Lord, help me to exalt your word in your life. In your life. That's what I'm telling you, young or old. Everybody's got problems and the problems will only increase. And problem increases, worry will increase, anxiety. If you have no problems, you will worry about your children. If your children have no problems, don't worry. After some time, you'll worry about your grandchildren. Nobody will be exempt from this. You want rest? There is only one position of rest. That is in Christ. In Christ. That's what. Even Moses, standing up. And he's tired, hands are coming down. What is the first thing they do? Put a stone. Sit down. We do not intercede for victory from a point of anxiety. We intercede because we know he is seated, I am seated. The victory is already there, the promise is there, I lead you in triumph. I sit and I believe. And I start on I lift your word up. I will never bring my hand down. But I believe. I believe. Amen? Yes. One more minute and our our time is not up. We have another hour, half an hour to go. Shall we pray? Come, let's stand. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. I pray, Father, your children will go back home. And go back to the old messages, those who have not heard. Go back and allow your spirit to prophesy the word over them over and over again. Until every spiritual bone is in place. Every sinew is in place. Until they are completely, totally covered with new skin of the new man. Which is formed in Christ. Completely. Then I know, Lord, you will breathe your spirit upon us. One by one by one by one around the world, I know, Lord, there will stand a spiritual army. Vast army, mighty in God. They will fear no man, no demon, no power of darkness. They will know God. Because they have seen God, his kingdom, his realm. 
They are not afraid. They are endured with power. And they will fight these powers of darkness. And they will bring, I believe, Lord, the final harvest into thy kingdom. But my prayer, O God, is when that vast army stands on their feet, there will be at least some from here. Who would have believed? Who would have obeyed? And who would have tarried? Work that obedience in our life, O Lord. That we do not neglect your word. Take your word lightly. Exalt our feelings and our pleasures and our pressures above your word. But to stand up there on the mount with your word lifted up and our hand raised in prayer. So Amalek will be defeated. When the flesh dies, the eyes of the spirit will open. We will see. We will hear. We will know. Thank you, thank you, Father. As we go, pray your presence will be there with each one of us. And he will speak to us, continue to teach us. And we will treasure that time that you spend with you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Once again, speak by faith your word of healing, healing for those who are ill, for those who are wounded, deliverance for those who are oppressed. And I pray, Lord, you will meet each one at their point of need. Thank you, thank you, Father. We praise you, God. We praise you. Now by faith we lift up holy hands. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.